Ephesians chapter 4 talks about people that are gifts to the body of Christ. One of those people are pastors and teachers. Well, today we have a gift here at Times Square Church. Each month we get to hear this gift, share and break open the Word of God every single month. Dr. R.T. Kendall. Dr. R.T. Kendall was the pastor for 25 years at Westminster Chapel in London, England. I'm so thankful not only to call him friend, but to also call him a mentor and a spiritual father to me. He has been such a blessing to us over these months, and he is going to unpack for us probably one of the most powerful things I've heard him preach in the past years. R.T. Kendall is going to be talking to us about a thorn in the flesh. I want you to prepare your hearts for something I believe that is so important for the church to hear today. Would you prepare your hearts for Dr. R.T. Kendall? I want to speak to you today on the subject, the thorn in the flesh. Some of you will know exactly where this phrase comes from. Uh, and I want to read to you today from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. The words of the Apostle Paul. I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ, he's referring to himself, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. In those days, uh, the feeling was there's the first heaven where you see the birds and the clouds, the second heaven where you see the moon, the stars, and the planets, then beyond that, the third heaven. Well, that's what Paul says he was brought up to. And he says, whether I was in the body or out of the body, uh, I don't know, only God knows. And I know that this man, referring to himself, was caught up to paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows and heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses, though it would seem I could wish about that. I could, in that case, wish to boast. I wouldn't be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one would think more of me than he should, uh, or what he hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, those are his words. And because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, where he was caught up to the third heaven, he said, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, thorn in the flesh. He calls it a messenger of Satan, and yet God sent it. Figured that one out. I'll come to that. So this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. There it is. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, that I am content with weakness, weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I take great comfort from those words. When I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, 
brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every person watching, hearing, in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent vehicle to pass on everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple, and I ask that this be a life-changing word and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, these words that I just read by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 have to be among the most candid, transparent, and vulnerable admissions of any servant of Christ. Because of two things, listen to this, God, having been extremely gracious to Paul, giving him those extraordinary visions and giving, uh, given Paul's proneness to take himself too seriously, he said, God sent this thorn in the flesh. And so Paul admits that he has this problem. And so God sent this thorn in the flesh. The Greek word is skulops, thorn, a, a splinter, like a fish hook. I don't know if anybody watching, you're a fisherman. Uh, I'm a fisherman. That's my, you could say, my first love after preaching the gospel. <laughs> Did you ever get stuck with a fish hook? Oh, boy, it'll ruin your day. It, it hurts to move it. The more you try, it becomes more pain, more painful, constant pain. And according to Paul, it was driven into his flesh. The word for flesh is the Greek word sarx. Well, he doesn't mean a physical thorn in his body. He's talking about a figure of speech. It was something in his own personal life. So because of the flesh, the word flesh, uh, which uh, uh, John de Calvin defined as the unregenerate part of the soul. When you hear the phrase, uh, the phrase flesh and spirit in the Bible, flesh, the unregenerate part of the soul. Well, a thorn in Paul's flesh. God inflicted him with something painful. It was something that wasn't going to go away. We know because he said, I prayed three times for it to go away. Well, now, if you know what has gone on before in 2 Corinthians 10, 11, and if up to now uh, you have questioned whether the boasting of Paul was boasting of his weakness and not his strength, he makes it clear. He wants to give you the final evidence. The one thing, it is one thing, to have marvelous experiences with God. And you know what? Paul might have referred to any of several experiences of God. But uh, here is the final evidence. Now, we know from the book of Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 9, there were signs, wonders, miracles. He had a vision of Jesus. But this is different. He singles out something uh, that had happened 14 years before, something subsequent to that experience of his conversion on the road to Damascus. 
It lets you know that after you've been converted and you may have had an extraordinary experience with God, it's interesting to know, I, I find this comforting, that that's not the last time God may reveal himself to you in a supernatural way. He may show up again. Well, here's Paul's point. Had I been strong and truly a man of humility, you would have thought, Paul, I thought you were strong. I thought you were a man of humility. He says, not really. Had I been strong and truly a man of humility and in total control of my ego, God would have left me alone. No need for a thorn in the flesh. But because of what I am, so weak and frail and so prone to take myself so seriously, God sent this thorn. Isn't that amazing? Question, does this surprise you? Did you think that a saint of God like Paul would be so prone to take himself so seriously? Well, I'll tell you, there's a verse. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. If you knew how often I think of this, you may have trouble believing me. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Well, uh, this thorn came to him shortly after the vision he had some 14 years below, uh, before. Now, I want to make some general observations as I introduce this subject. First, it was a manifestation of God's glory. Question for you. Do you think that you have a thorn in the flesh? If so, are you able to see it as a manifestation of the glory of God, are you? Here's another thing I want to say about the thorn in the flesh. Not only is it a manifestation of God's glory, it's a sincere but a severe form of chastening uh, or being disciplined. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, uh, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, or some translations, he disciplines. Uh, the word discipline it comes from a, a Greek word that means enforced learning, <laughs> where God gets your attention. Well, I have to say, if you are a Christian worth your salt, certainly, certainly, if you are a sovereign vessel, I would define sovereign vessels, one especially chosen of the Lord for some form of ministry. Well, you have a thorn in the flesh. Well, if you don't have a thorn in the flesh, you will. <laughs> It will come. After all, Hebrews 12, verse 6, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Well, I would say this thorn in the flesh, three kinds of chastening all combined. And I would say that this thorn in the flesh is an extreme form. It's an extreme form of chastening. Now, let me explain the three kinds of chastening. Internal external, terminal. 
first. Uh, internal, uh, which I'm going to define, but I want to say this, that some Christians have more than one thorn in the flesh. Uh, you might say, I've got more than one. Well, well <laughs> I've got more than one too. Uh, although you may have more than one thorn in the flesh at one time, chances are that there is probably one thing that stands out above all others. Well, a thorn in the flesh is like a prison sentence. I'm sorry. It's a situation you are locked into. I wish I could say otherwise, but it is not likely to go, to go away very soon, if at all. Well, you're going to say, will it ever go away? Will it ever go away? Well, the answer is yes, if you don't need it any longer. Uh, but don't anticipate that it's going to go away, go away tomorrow afternoon or any time soon. Now, I'll share something with you that I wish were not true. But I know of a well-known preacher who is uh, one of these prosperity teachers who actually said, if you can believe it, he actually said that if the Apostle Paul had had my faith, he wouldn't have had a thorn in the flesh. Well, I think that's a very dangerous way to speak. I wouldn't want to be in the shoes of anybody that would say it or think it. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And those who have been brought up for a particular purpose, and I, I believe I'm talking to someone today, this is what you need. You wonder what is going on, uh, what's happening. Well, I've got good news. It may not be all good news because you were hoping that an hour from now, a day from now, it would just go away. Well, the first question, what is the prerequisite for having a thorn in the flesh? In fact, I want to say five things today. I want to talk about the prerequisite for the thorn, the purpose of the thorn in the flesh. I want to talk about the pain of the thorn of flesh. Then we will see there's a paradox. But finally, there is the permanence of the thorn in the flesh. Well, the word prerequisite means required as a condition or in preparation for something else. In other words, how do you qualify? What do you have to do to get a thorn in the flesh? Well, it's not something you would likely stand in a queue for. Or if I were preaching this publicly, I, I don't think I would give an appeal for all those who want a thorn in the flesh to stand up and come forward. I, I don't think I would do that. As a matter of fact, never forget this. In the Lord's Prayer, which I hope you pray often, my wife and I pray it every day. The Lord's Prayer has that phrase in it, lead us not into temptation. The word temptation comes from a Greek word that means testing or trial. And we are to pray. We sincerely must pray every day. Lord, I don't ask to be tested today. I don't want it. It's okay. Jesus said, pray. Lead us not into temptation. You don't want to be brought to, to have to be thrown into the pool of the deep end. Uh, you rather not have it. Uh, just because you should count a trial pure joy, as James put it in James chapter 1, verse 2, that doesn't mean you go out looking for a trial. <laughs> They'll come soon enough. But there are 
four prerequisites, or you could say uh, conditions uh, for this thorn. The first, here's the first qualification, that God has been exceedingly good to you. Is that you? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's gracious. Uh, if you say, well, God's been good to me, well, that's the first qualification. That's the first prerequisite. If you cannot say that God has been good to you, you're exempt. But all listening, if you would say honestly, God's been good to you, I have to tell you, you qualify. That's the first prerequisite. The second prerequisite, that one of your weaknesses is that you tend to take yourself too seriously. In other words, if you don't have any problem with pride, congratulations, don't worry, you're not going to have a thorn in the flesh. And, and not only will you not have a thorn in the flesh, you probably won't need any chastening either. Because as I said, the Greek word for chastening means enforced learning. And uh, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Uh, and if you don't have a problem with pride, uh, don't worry, you're not going to have a thorn in the flesh. Uh, <laughs> I'll just say it again. I think it needs to be said. It may shock you, but there is this famous preacher who said if the Apostle Paul had, had my faith, he wouldn't have had a thorn in the flesh. I don't mean to be unfair. That means this man says, I don't have a problem with pride. Well, it shows that a person like that has no conviction of sin. A person like this has no objectivity about himself. And if you have no conviction of sin and you're not aware that you have a problem with pride, I don't mean to be unfair, but you don't have objectivity about yourself. But then there's a third prerequisite, that you've been called to a special ministry. This will almost certainly mean you're going to need special preparation. I think of when David was anointed by Samuel. Samuel poured the oil on David. And from that moment, the Spirit of God came upon David. And someone might hastily say, well, uh, David, he's only 17 years old, but he's got the anointing. Uh, he's ready to be king. Listen. Hard lesson to learn for some of us. Just because we have an anointing doesn't mean we're ready for the ministry to which we've been called. The truth is, David would need another 20 years of preparation. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of the 19th century, said, if I knew I had 25 years left to live, I'd want to spend 20 of it in preparation. You see, that's an older man as he realizes he could have spent more time knowing the Bible and, and being prepared. Uh, and so preparation is part of what we're talking about. So the thorn in the flesh is because you need special preparation. And we come now to this. Preparation will be painful. I would put it like this. If you have been given a thorn in the flesh, you have just qualified for entrance into the University of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> not Harvard, not Yale, 
not Princeton, not Oxford. How would you like to be in the University of the Holy Ghost? Well, there's another reason to know that you qualify. God is not finished with you yet. You haven't yet graduated from the need for preparation. And so you ask, how long will this thorn be in me? Why this pain? Well, as long as we need it. As long as we need it. Psalm 84, verse 11, No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Well, you see, there's more work for you to do and more disciplining. So, we come to the purpose of the thorn in the flesh. What is the purpose of the thorn in the flesh? Well, that we might be partakers of God's holiness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, that we may partake of His holiness. You could put it this way. It's God's ordained means of sanctification. Uh, I would define sanctification. This is an important theological point. If I could say this parenthetically, sanctification is the doctrine of gratitude. In other words, why be a holy person in order to get you to heaven? No, that, that misses the point. Because you know you're going to heaven by the blood of Jesus, it's a way of saying, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. And you thank him not only with your lips, but by living a holy life. Sanctification is the doctrine of gratitude. All right. We're called to this chastening because it's God's way of getting our attention and making us more like Jesus. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. I would say that this verse is one of the most extraordinary verses in the New Testament. You see, amazing this, that God perfected Jesus by Jesus' suffering. Now, I don't get this. I don't understand. It's one of the strangest verses. There are a lot of verses in the Bible I don't understand. And when I get to heaven, I hope to, I'll get it then. I'd like on the way to heaven to know some reason for verses. Why would Jesus need suffering for his perfection? Well, God's ways are higher than our ways. And if Jesus, listen to me, if Jesus needed suffering to make him perfect, how much more do we need it? And so it's the only way, it seems, that God can bend us. Have you ever heard that phrase before, Lord, bend me? I don't know if you've ever heard of the Welsh Revival, uh, 1904 in Wales. Uh, the main figure was a young man by the name of Evan Roberts. And he was praying one night. People recall hearing him say it, Lord, bend me. Lord, bend me. And it can be very painful. But that's what Evan Roberts prayed. And look how God used him. Well, are you willing to pray, Lord, bend me? I'll put it this way. We must welcome God's plan A, which I call internal chastening. And that is uh, when God chases through his word, internal, the Holy Spirit 
operates on you. If you're listening to me right now, and if God is speaking to you, that's plan A. He's trying to get your attention through this word. And by the way, plan A, internal chastening, best way to have your problem solved. But sooner or later, we all need, I'm afraid, God's plan B, external chastening. That's plan B because internal, uh, we don't seem to listen. But I can tell you this, the external, though painful, uh, it achieves in us a far greater weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. And I'll tell you another fringe benefit of external chastening. You know why God does this? Not only to prepare you for the ministry to which you've been called, it ensures that we will receive a reward at the judgment seat of Christ. God wants you to have a reward. Well, in a word, I can summarize, it's the best thing that has happened to us. Plan B. God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no. And God said, really? And God sent the wind, God sent the fish to get Jonah's attention. And if God has had to bring in plan B, external chastening, here's what it does. Not only to prepare you for reward at the judgment seat of Christ, another friend's benefit, it tends to keep us out of trouble. Well, one day you will treasure it. One day you will appreciate it. And I would say, learn to do this now. Well, what then is the specific purpose of the thorn in the flesh? Well, as one Bible scholar put it, to puncture our pride. How does that make you feel? Does your pride need to be punctured? Well, that's the purpose. I would call it a compensatory puncture from God, a compensatory puncture. Now, some people get a positive compensation in this life because they have been deprived. But sovereign vessels, they get a negative compensation because they've been so privileged and so blessed. So compensation is to make up for a deficiency. And so if you've become uh, take, you've been guilty of taking yourself a little bit too seriously or people compliment you and you begin to believe their compliments and God looks down and says, oh, my servant needs a compensatory puncture. <laughs> it won't be fun. At the moment, you get a great uh, sense of glory. Uh, I was brought up in the Church of the Nazarene many years ago. A very famous preacher he was known as Uncle Buddy Robinson. He was tongue-tied, uneducated. Uh, long story about him. I'd love just to tell you more about him. But he tells a story that one day uh, someone came up to him and said, Uncle Buddy, that's the greatest sermon I've ever heard. And Uncle Buddy said, Lord, keep me from getting puffed up. Ten seconds later, someone came up to Uncle Buddy and said, Uncle Buddy, that's the worst sermon I've ever heard. He said, Lord, keep me from getting puffed down. 
Well, we all need something. And so we're talking about uh, how God can do this. It's compensation to make up for a deficiency. But we're not talking about God compensating us by material blessings. A thorn in the flesh is a compensation because we have a deficiency in many areas. Let me give you five areas very quickly. First of all, faith. Do you realize that Paul's own greatest trial, uh, he describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He admits why he needed it. He said, so I would rely on God. I want to think, Paul, I thought you already trusted God. He would say, well, yes, but not like I should. And maybe God has given you this so that you would rely on God like you haven't because of your lack of faith. Or take the word love. My greatest trial led to my coming into total forgiveness. The worst trial I ever had in my life. Honestly, the worst. Louise and I went through it years ago. Do you know, at that time, the future was so bleak, I thought life was over. I now can tell you it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And so, a thorn in the flesh, you're not going to enjoy it at the moment. But I can tell you, if you don't give up and you don't complain, and Paul needed it for faith, for more love, and I'm getting ready to spell the word flesh. Faith, love, empathy. Do you lack in showing empathy for those who are hurting? Then there's the word sin. Do you need to be reminded what a sinner you are? You say, oh, I, I, I'm trying to live a good life. I can tell you right now, Isaiah the prophet had been prophesying for years. And one day he saw the glory of God and he said, woe is me, I am undone. And God has a way of bringing us face to face with what we're really like, a sense of sin. 1 John 1, 8, listen. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. F-L-E-S, sin, H, humility. It comes down to this. Do you take yourself too seriously? I'll tell you what, I'll come clean. It's one of my greatest problems. And I've got a thorn. I wish it would go away, but I just trust that God knows what I need. Well, Paul admits to why he needed it. He actually says so. I'm amazed at this. You see, if you were to read the biography of the great saints of God in history, do you want to know what they had in common? The greatest saints always saw themselves as the greatest sinners. Contrast that with a man who says, if the apostle Paul had, had my faith, he wouldn't need a thorn in the flesh. Terrible thing to say. Paul admits he had a problem with pride in verse 7. Well, what we have in this phrase is what I would call an intentional ambiguity in the Greek language. Ambiguity means more than one meaning. For example, one meaning. Paul says, lest I be exalted above measure. What does he mean? Well, that's the way it's put in the King James Version. Lest people put him on a pedestal and admire him too much. Well, Paul says, God's going to make sure that people around me are going to see something that will keep them from praising me like I'm an angel. 
Or another translation, and this is why I say it's an, uh, an ambiguity, intentional ambiguity. Another way to put it, lest he be conceited or arrogant. Uh, in other words, uh, if you get an awareness of your weakness and how you've messed up, that'll go a long way to keep you from being arrogant. And Paul said, that's what I needed. Well, there's another translation. He said, it's to keep him from exalting himself. In other words, someone gives you a compliment and you think, oh, good, I needed that. And maybe you did, but if you're not careful, you'll just gloat on that for days and you'll need a humbling. I never will forget. Preaching at Westminster Chapel in London, one Sunday, God was just good to me. I mean, it was so good. I said, I, I can't wait to preach a week from now. I think I've learned how. I think I've learned how to preach for the first time. I couldn't wait for Sunday to come. And I went to that same pulpit. I made the biggest mess. <laughs> I've just learned that there'll be ups and downs. And Paul said, I needed this thorn in the flesh. Uh, so I would always be humbled as I need to be. Well, to keep himself from being too elated, thereby getting his joy from external things, whether it be from revelations by the Holy Spirit or being excited over people bragging on you. Well, I just referred earlier to Jeremiah 17, 9. I think of this verse, I think every day. I hadn't thought of it till this second. It's possible I think of this verse more than I think of Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. I think of that every day. But let me tell you, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart, this is for saved people, for everybody. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, incurably wicked. That's what the Hebrew says. We never outgrow this. And if you think you've outgrown Jeremiah 17, 9, watch out, watch out. Oh, here's a great verse. God knows our weaknesses, and I love this verse. Psalm 103, verse 14. You know what it says? I love it. God remembers our frame. He remembers that we're dust. At the same time, God knows when our pride needs a knockout blow. Well, question. How does this thorn do its job? Or how does it keep one from being conceited? Well, I think, I'd put it this way, it curbs one's proneness to give in to the flesh by letting us be embarrassed. God uses the threat of being embarrassment, to being embarrassed to to protect, protect yourself from ourselves. How does it work? Well, through pain. <laughs> yeah, the pain. Now, I come to the pain of the thorn in the flesh. Hebrews 12, 10, and 11 is for our holiness, but then the writer says something obvious. It's almost redundant. He wouldn't need to say it, but he said it. Chastisement, being disciplined, is painful. It's painful. A thorn, thorn, like a fish hook into your skin. It's a nuisance, but it hurts. And you think about it all the time. 
You can be out fishing, you get a fish hook, and I don't care how many fish you catch, you'd rather get that fish hook out. It keeps from getting, it keeps us knowing that we need help. You see, a thorn hurts, it keeps getting our attention. It won't go away. Why would God inflict us with pain? It doesn't kill us. It only hurts. That's, it's because, and listen carefully, God's glory is a no-joke thing. Like it or not, He's a jealous God. God is determined that no flesh shall glory in His presence. If there were no pain, we would forget and lapse back into our normal fleshly ways. But it helps to keep us from competing with God's glory. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. My glory I give to no other. Never forget this about God. Isaiah 42, verse 8. My glory I will not give to another. You see, it ensures that we will take no personal credit or glory. And it makes certain that we will always give God all the glory. What else then can be said about a thorn in the flesh? It's a trial. It hurts. It's obtrusive, always there. It reminds you of it. It's a nuisance. And Paul said, to torment me. As I said, to give his pride a knockout blow. It keeps one's feet on the ground. It keeps one from thinking, I have arrived. Well, in short, listen, the good it does more than compensates the pain it causes. Well, I come now to the paradox of this thorn in the flesh. The word paradox means what appears to be contradictory. So Paul says two things. God said it, and yet the devil did it. Paradox. He said it was given me. God sent it. But then he uses the devil, messenger of Satan. The devil did it. Uh, how could this be? God did it. The devil did it. This is nothing new. This is nothing new. Look at what God did to Job. Do you realize that God initiated all that Job went through? God started it. God said to the devil, have you considered my servant Job? And uh, I dare say, to, I'm talking to someone right now. You wonder why you're going through this? God called your name to the devil and says, have you considered my servant John, Emma, Joyce, Rudolph, whatever. God knows your name. And he has allowed the devil to do this. Uh, there's another example. Compare 2 Samuel 24.1 with 1 Chronicles 21.1. One says God did it. The other, Satan did it. Or uh, let me read to you from Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 23. He says that Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified by the hands of lawless men. So who crucified Jesus? You could make a case for various ones. The soldiers did it. The Romans did it. 
Pontius Pilate did it. The Jews did it. Satan did it. God says, I did it. God is at the bottom of, of it all. And so you need to sow, see that all that you're going through is by the plan and foreknowledge of God. Well, God allows Satan to go so far, but no further. God does it. The devil does it. Well, God is in control. He sent his son to die on a cross. Satan entered Jesus. Satan realized he'd been outwitted. It says in 1 Corinthians 2, 8, the devil wouldn't have done it had he known that this was God's plan. And so how wonderful that the same God who sent his son and used the devil to give you the same kind of attention he gave Jesus. I close. Permanence of the thorn in the flesh. Paul said, I prayed three times. You see, there's nothing wrong with Paul praying that God would remove it. Far worse had he tried to remove it himself. So it's okay to ask God to remove it, but don't try to remove it yourself. It will only bring more pain. If you ask, how can I know that what I have is a thorn in the flesh? And I would put it this way. If something painful that won't go away after you have prayed again and again, it's a good sign that you have a thorn, not unlike Paul, you are honored. It's a painful situation. You're locked into but when you pray for it, it doesn't go away. Congratulations. God is up to something. Don't complain, but rather I urge you, say, yes, Lord. We all ask, what exactly was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Well, was it a frailty? Was it a fault? Was it a friend? Was it a foe? Was it a failure? Was it a feeling? Well, remember, it is a figure of speech. Over 50 scholarly opinions in church history have been suggested. Some say his eyes, his eyesight, Tertullian, pain in the ear or head. Some would say troublesome people. I could go on and on of the various views, including Paul worrying about persecuting the church. I conclude God does not want us to know what Paul's thorn was because if we knew, 99% of us would not think of relating it to ourselves. He uses an umbrella term. We can all get under it. I would say, don't despise it. Don't resent it. It's by God's sovereign pleasure. It's for our good. It's only a matter of time. We will appreciate it. It's only a matter of time. And you will thank God for it. May we pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to apply this word to those watching, those listening, that this will be an encouragement, life-changing, comforting, Thank you that you are a sovereign God in control. Apply this message by your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, RT. What a powerful word on a thorn in the flesh. It is something that all of us needed to hear today. 
When you think about what RT talked about and going through those difficult times, I have to tell you, you cannot go through those difficult times alone. You can't do it simply by just being religious. You have to do it by having a relationship. It's called being born again. And I want to let you know today that it is that relationship that changes everything. You can face a thorn in the flesh. You can face any trial when you know God is in your life. Jesus tells us in John chapter 3 how that relationship takes place. In fact, he calls the relationship being born again. It's something so important that we feel that because Jesus begins to bring it up in John chapter 3, it's really the most important question anybody can ever ask. It literally begins to deal not just with our, our, our life, it deals with our eternity, our forever. Because Jesus said in John 3, 3, he says these words to us, no man, no woman can see the kingdom of heaven unless they've been born again. We have to understand what that phrase means. In fact, I heard one man say it like this, eternity is too long to be wrong. So that's why we have to get this right. Because some people think I get to go to heaven because I'm a good person or because I'm a religious person or my parents um, have been in church. I go to church. And all those things, though they're good, whether you say communion or whether you say I was, I was dedicated as a baby, as good as those things are, that's not what Jesus said. It's eternity is too long to get it wrong. So let's get this one right. Jesus said, we must, you must be born again, John 3, 5. Well, Pastor Tim, how does that happen? We'll let you know it's as simple as ABC. Let me walk through those letters. A is admitting that I'm a sinner, that every person on this planet has a diagnosis, a problem, a brokenness inside of us. And the diagnosis is sin. It can't be fixed by a, by a promise that we make. It can't be fixed by a program. There's not a priest or a pastor that can fix it. Only God can fix it. How does he fix it? That's the B word. It's B, believing that God sent his son to fix the sin issue. He diagnosed it as sin and says the remedy has to be my son becoming your sin bearer. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why God sent him to come down. If we could fix it ourselves, then God wouldn't have had to send his son. But he sent it and said it's by believing in him that he would be the one that would take our sin and bring it to the cross. See, Jesus died the death that we were supposed to die. He lived the life that we couldn't live and gave us the reward that we didn't deserve, which is forgiveness in heaven. And finally, C, confessing him as Lord. That word is so important because it comes from Romans 10, 9, and 10 about confessing Jesus as Lord. It's literally saying, you're in charge of my life. The word actually means to be the boss in charge. When you come to Jesus, you're not coming to a place, a building. You're coming to a person and you're saying, you are in charge of my life. A, it's admitting. B, it's believing. And C, it's confessing. Wherever you're at right now, whoever you are, you could be in your living room. You may be in a gymnasium, a fitness center. You could be on a subway, a bus. You may be on a walk through a park right now. And God is speaking to your heart that he wants a relationship with you. I want you to make the most important decision of your life that you want to be born again. Just as you had a first birth and were born physically, this is your second birth or that born again date that you are going to be born spiritually. How do we do it? Here's the next step. I want you to pray with me right now. Wherever you're at, 
Would you pray these words with me? Come on, say them with me out loud if you can. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say this with me now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. Amen. You just made the greatest decision of your life. In fact, you decided today to become a follower of Jesus Christ. You decided to be born again. I want to ask you to do one thing for me, which is a great next step for you in this brand new relationship. Would you do me a favor and text the word decided? You're going to see it on the screen, D-E-C-I-D-E-D, to 88202. Our team is going to send you what a next step looks like. Someone is going to begin to reach out to you just to let you know here is your next steps in the greatest relationship that you can ever have, a relationship with Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.